0: I think it's so important in owning your failures. Um, I think people are very scared sometimes to showcase when they mess up or uh, to say, oh, my gosh, I failed. But you've never truly failed, right? Failures are learning experiences, but you've never truly failed unless you give up. So if you don't give up, you keep finding successes throughout life. So that would be my biggest you know, piece of advice.
1: It's Mary Scott Jamieson here, and you're listening to She Had a Vision podcast. I'm interviewing female founders and business owners who are disrupting industries, discovering financial freedom, and also finding their own voice within their brand. These women had a vision. They executed even while falling down a few times, but they got up again and are continuing to grow. I hope these episodes will help you learn from their failures and even their wins, I want this platform to be a community where we can all learn from each other. Let's get to it. So today I'm so, so excited to have Tinsley Merrill-Paul, uh, the co-founder and CEO of Support Her Story on the show today. Um, welcome, Tinsley. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Yes, this is so great. And uh, I was so glad to connect with you a few weeks back. Uh, Support Her Story is this incredible social business and platform for women-led brands across the globe. And um, these brands get to share their stories on your platform and also, of course, sell their luxury goods. And um, I know you you partnered with and uh, two other uh, co-founders as well to build this um whitney royal oh my god i always say her name name wrong whitney R- royal how do you say it whitney rowell oh my god <laughs> you're I'm very back. close very and close. i even interviewed her <laughs> on my podcast <laughs> um i'll stop that again so based in dallas um i know you uh, co-founded this platform uh with two other founders whitney Rowell. from um, um, miracle milk cookies and Brittany underwood founder of acola is that how you say that acola acola yeah awesome um, and this was something that came out of the pandemic which I think is so interesting so I look forward to really diving in and learning more so thank you so much again um, okay so this is always something I love to ask in the beginning uh, so Really, you know, growing up as a kid, was uh, there any particular career dream you had?
0: I always loved being on stage when I was a kid. I was the youngest of five. Um, I had two older sisters and two older brothers. So everyone used to laugh. I was kind of like Matilda. Everyone was going to soccer practice. They were doing that. And I was making pancakes at home (laughs) for myself in the morning. And I always was a little bit of an entrepreneur. Um, I'd always make certain lemonade stands and we'd be in uh, watercolor at the beach to make some extra money or I'd put together a menu for my dad of how much it costs to get a head scratch. So I always was thinking a little <laughs> bit entrepreneurial at a very young age. Um, but I also, I loved singing, I loved acting. And so it's funny as kind of my life has unfolded it, it really was, um, I've always loved working with, um, multiple different people throughout my life, whether it was in acting school or whether it was, you know, in singing class. Um, and I think it really did kind of lead me into what I ended up doing long-term, um, with parent and Her Story.
1: That's amazing. So did you, how long do you have the acting dream? That's awesome.
0: Um, since I was really small, I always loved being on stage. I was never the best actress. That was the funniest part. I had the most confidence on stage, but I would forget my lines. I would forget the songs. Um, so there were a lot of people better than me. Um, but I loved it and I loved, um, really being able to work with really creative people. Um, and through that, I think, um, Atlanta School of Performing Arts was actually, uh, a school I went to, um, to be able to do different plays. And I think it gave me the confidence at a really young age to be able to speak to older people and, and work with older people, um, which allowed me to kind of do what I'm doing today. Um, and then on top of that, I think I, I did, um, a cameo in vampire diaries, um, when I was oh gosh. A, a senior in high school and that was kind of my I always laugh. That was my peak, my my claim to fame um, as an extra. But again, it was just a fun experience. I always liked kind of throwing myself into something and giving it a try, um, even if I only did it one time. And yeah, so singing, acting, being on stage, it was always a fun thing for me.
1: I love that. You know, what's so funny is you're not the only entrepreneur I know that has had an interest in performing or theater or acting. Um so I do think that's it, there is some attribute to that. Um I, I find a very interesting pattern. Um Christina Lynch from Eagle and Drina who I interviewed, she was a theater major too and she talks she said something similar about that. Um I so, love Christina. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's really cool. So okay, so you get to SMU, right? You went to SMU. Um yeah. what By then, uh, you know, what were you kind of focused on with your studies? I think
0: being the youngest of five allowed me to really know what I wanted to do at a younger age. I always loved marketing. I loved communications. I loved PR. Um, So I knew I wanted to go in the Meadows School um, as soon as I went into SMU. And when I was even looking at schools, that was something I really wanted to focus on. Um, When... I went to SMU, I joined Kappa, the sorority, um, which allowed me to actually connect with a bunch of women entrepreneurs. Um, So back when I was a freshman at SMU, um, Whitney Wolf was just starting Bumble, and they hadn't even launched the platform yet. Um, It was an idea of having a dating app. Prior to that, she had come on campus and she was launching Tinder and obviously through her journey um, ended up wanting to start a platform that really supported women and let women make the first move. And I remember her coming into Cap and saying, "We're looking for you know a social media intern. You'll be wearing all of these hats." And because of my past experience with my sister starting a cola when I was nine and going to Uganda and working with other you know woman led businesses, I was like, "Why not? Right? I'd love to learn. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to learn from you." And so I took that on. Um, my freshman year, which I think really gave me the fire in my belly to fall in love with startups um, and how startups worked and what it meant to really build something from the ground up. Um, And from there, I got an internship with, um, used to be known as Reward Style, now like to know at LTK, another female founder based in um, Dallas who went to SMU and being able to see what she had done and just four years really creating a platform for the first time for influencers to be able to monetize. And at that time, the word influencer didn't hold any weight. Um, it wasn't what we see now. And so seeing that journey for her of being a blogger and wanting to be able to monetize to creating a company that when I joined had a hundred employees and now I think has, you know, 250, 300 employees around the world, again just gave me that it, Excitement on, okay. I know I love startup. I know I love marketing. I know I love working with different women. Where does my path go from here?
1: Mm -hmm. I didn't know that about Whitney Wolf. That's so crazy.
0: Yeah. So Whitney, um, she started Bumble really, um, yeah, my freshman and sophomore year. And when she came, the whole idea was creating a campus representative structure um, to where she could actually work with a bunch of. Um, girls in college who could represent Bumble and be able to bring on users. And it was brilliant. The reason Bumble grew so quickly, I honestly believe, is because she looked at very particular college campuses, SMU, Vanderbilt, Alabama, and from being able to partner with these, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior girls who were joining the platform, everyone else came on. Um, And it was the first time people really used a campus representative structure in order to grow a user base. Um, So it was fun to be able to be a part of that and kind of see that grow.
1: Yeah. And you were doing that early on in in school. I mean, I just, I love that you, one, were very focused in knowing your interests going into school because not a lot of people are. Um, I didn't know what PR was when I was in college. (laughs) Um, So I love that um, about you as far as like kind of recognizing your interests and, you know, shooting your shot with some opportunities that kind of came your way. That tells me so much about you already right there. And so, you know, kind of thinking through these amazing internship opportunities you had, I'm sure it lined up a great, you know, first job out of school. Um, Yeah. What was kind of like your next step um, as far as like a first job in your career?
0: Yeah. So, you know, experience was everything for me in college. And to me, I always had to get my hands dirty. So I needed to take multiple internships to see what I liked and what I didn't like. Um, you know, those were two great internships. I had some internships, one in PR where I realized I can never be full-time in PR. It's just not, (laughs) it's not made for me. You know, I love it. Um, but that's not what I want to do. And I had a marketing internship, um, with a food and beverage company. And again, I was like, I love this, but it's not for me. Um, and when I got my reward style, like to know it internship, It was really just to have an internship the last semester of college, not thinking it would go into a full-time job. I wanted to travel. I wanted to go to Australia. um, I had studied abroad there. um, And then it ended up turning into a full-time job. And the opportunity was so great. And it was at such a pivotal moment, as I mentioned, in this bridge between um, influencers and brands and being able to partner together. And so I just dove in and started working June right after my, um, my senior year graduating.
1: Okay. Awesome. And yeah, from working there and how long were you there? And I guess from that experience, how has that really impacted your success today? You think?
0: Hugely. Um, I give a lot of accolades to reward sound the way that they train people. Mm. Um, that was the biggest thing. And it was such a young cultural environment. Um, I was there for two years, I started in advertiser support which was really fun for me because I got to work with, you know, hundreds of different brands and explain what is influencer marketing, what is affiliate marketing, how do you work with third party affiliates and so I really got to understand the business so well because I was pitching it every yeah. day and I was also solving problems for all of these brands who maybe they weren't spending, you know, 250,000 with the company, but they were big enough that they were still choosing to optimize with rewards. style. And so I was able to come up with those optimization opportunities, talk about what influencers they can connect with. And so I got to learn so much in that role um, and then ended up transitioning to the retail development role where I was actually able to be on a team of, you know, three amazing women who would have anywhere between, Five to twenty brands who were spending a lot with Reward Style, and we would come up with collaborations where we would cast influencers, look at their performance data, and then create campaigns, um, which a lot of people see now right on TikTok Mm -hmm. and Instagram. But at the at the time, that didn't exist, and so we were really creating that. And so I worked with brands like Express and eBay, um, and it was really cool to see how much influencer marketing can not only make an impact, but you could actually really see measurable results through their return on investment. Um, And that got me thinking, okay, wow, there's something new. Influencers are able to monetize through fashion. It's helping these brands, but I've always been an experientialist at heart. So I love to travel. I love to go to concerts. Um, I was always experiences over things Um, as a child and growing up. In college and in post grad, and so for me, I thought, wow, what if influencers were able to monetize their experiences? Mm-hmm. That would be so interesting. And I remember sitting down with my manager saying, you know, is this something we would ever do? And they said, you know, I love, I love the thought, but we're doing really well in what we're doing, right? Um, yeah, we're really focused um, on this right now, and maybe down the road, but that's not something you know we're currently entertaining. And I was always the. Um, I was always the employee that wasn't afraid to say my opinions and thoughts and Good. ideas, right? To see what mm-hmm. was going to happen. Um, so I ended up um, running into two guys who had started a company called Pair. Um, And we got connected through my sister because they were trying to build a campus representative structure similar to how Bumble did in order to start growing their user base. And she said, you know, you should talk to my sister. She worked with Bumble back in college. She might be able to give you some really good advice. And so I ended up going to drinks with these two guys. They were in their thirties and really energized living in in Dallas and their whole idea really resonated with what I had been thinking about experiences over things. Like a lot of customers want to go to really amazing events. Right. But they want to make sure that those events, um, are in alignment with their psychographics, the things they like to do. And they're more likely to go if an influencer, right. Is on site that they align with. Um, and so after talking with them, they were like, who do you think we should hire? How should we build this? And I sat there and I was like, I think you should hire me. I oh, think I, I, I should I be the it. one that you hire. Um, <laughs> and so um, I ended up leaving Reward Style um, and launching into Pair originally as their director of marketing and then became a full-on co-founder um, okay. and really took over um, running the business as you know the face of Pair, um, which was so fun for me. I was 23, 24, diving into this massive role um, and really learning so much more on the technology side that I had been on with Reward Style, but being able to go so much deeper on what does it look like to build this from the ground up. Um, And I fell in love with it. I was a pair for two years. We grew, worked with brands like Diageo, Neiman Marcus, um, created an influencer monetization program for experiences and being able to track that. And then the pandemic hit. And oh all gosh. of a sudden, all of these, you know, incredible um, brands that we were working with, we were working with um, the VA as well. Um, all of a sudden, we couldn't have an in-person event. And for us, the question was, okay, what do we do next? Is this a three-week thing? As we were wondering, right? Is this a two-month thing? Is this a year-long thing? Um, so we pivoted to um, virtual experiences, and that was, you know, the first time. I really got to experience what it feels like to fully transition a company, um, which really brought me to what, um, ended up becoming her story.
1: Okay. Wow. So you got early on experience of running a business. That's incredible. Um, I love your confidence. You, you, I love yours You're having some casual drinks. Here. <laughs> You're connecting the dots in the conversation. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I love it. That's so, I I, I applaud you for that. Cause I you know, again, like as a 23 or 24 year old, I don't feel like a lot of females have the confidence to put their self out there. Um, yeah. And so I think that's attributed a lot to your success. And so, yeah, so that spring 2020, just like a weird time to look back on even today. Um, kind of, yeah, from there, it sounds like you were just talking to friends who, um, also were business owners and struggling. So, like, kind of, what were you seeing? I guess as like the main challenges uh, for, especially for female small business owners during that time.
0: The biggest issue was that most woman-led businesses that were really successful during that time, a majority of their profits were coming from wholesale. And the issue with wholesale that happened during the pandemic is the conglomerates like Neiman Marcus, Nordstrom, Sachs, they cut all of this wholesale orders. So P.O. orders. So all of these small businesses that typically as a larger brand, it's just a small percentage and you're diversified for them. That's how they made their money. And so being cut all of a sudden meant, how do we make up these orders? They had already made the product. Um, And I saw this firsthand with a cola. Um, Which is a social business my sister started, and they support 250 women in Uganda. And my sister, literally, what do we do? We're supporting 250 women in Uganda. They're dealing with COVID right now. Our orders are being slashed. We don't have the marketing budget to compete with these other brands that are moving to direct to consumer. That yes, those became super successful, but it's because they had a marketing budget, yeah, right. (laughs) And these smaller these smaller brands didn't have one, so Mm -hmm. they're like, how do we compete? How do we even, you know, make up for these orders and not go under? And, and so many businesses were dealing with the same struggle. And so when I was still at pair, I worked with a lot of these brands who are, you know, clients of mine. And I saw them have to slash their marketing budgets and they couldn't do the things they needed to do to really be able to connect with their target consumer. And the fire in my belly for what I was doing with pair was dwindling because I saw this need and I wanted to look back on the pandemic and say, you know, I did something that was meaningful and I didn't feel that way um, at my current position. And there wasn't a way for me to feel that way with the way that our company was growing. And so I talked with my sister, Brittany, and um, my friend Whitney, and we were just chatting about it. Like how do we support each other? How do we cross promote each other? And, help each other rise. And the thought that came out, what if we did a subscription box? Like what if we had, you know, 20 to 25 brands who are all in the same position as we are and we pick their luxury products and we put them in an amazing, highly curated box that a customer could choose. You know, I want this headband and this necklace and this bracelet, and then they can ship it to a friend or a daughter or sister that they miss that they can't be with during the pandemic, and. They also know they're supporting women-led small businesses who are in the same boat you know, as they are. Um, and the idea turned into an action within three weeks. Um, we created oh branding. Uh, we created boxes. We ordered them. We reached out to 20 of our different friends, mainly in Texas and New York, who were female founders saying, hey, we have this idea. It's all about cross-promoting women, uplifting each other. Do you want to join? Every single person. No brainer. Of course, how many units do you need? How can we be involved? How can we support you? And it happened so quickly. And within four weeks, this started in April, beginning of April, with four weeks, we were launching for Mother's Day. Oh my gosh. And and we launched our subscription box. And within a week, we already had 200 orders. And this was a subscription box that was like $149 a box. And so it showed us we're like, oh my gosh, not only do women want to come behind each other, right? These brands, but customers really want to know the story behind these brands and learn about these founders and know what's going on. Um, And so it was incredible to see this passion project become something really real um, Mm -hmm. that had legs. And that's when we had to take a step back and say, okay, this isn't a passion project, you know, I'm the CRO of my company, Brittany's the CEO of her company, Whitney's the CEO of her company, who's gonna run this business? And that's when I took a step back and I said, I really do think there's a model here. This might not be the exact model, yeah. but if we can support other women and come together, I think this is my my mission and my North Star. And, and that's when I left Pear and decided to go full force with her story.
1: Wow. I can't get over the response you got, not only from the the brands but also the con- the customers, and that's when you know, oh, okay, this yeah, like you said, this idea has legs, and you took a leap of faith of you know leaving a job into growing this. Um, but one thing too though is you there was total market demand, so like, I mean you probably felt yeah. like you trusted this next step and. What do you have to lose? I mean, every, it's the pandemic was so weird and it it was such a, you know, a strange time, but really there's, I've heard so many wonderful silver linings from it too. So, um, I think this is fantastic. So you went from the, the subscription box model, you know, that's not what the current model is today. So Mm -hmm. kind of in the beginning too, when you started to kind of be the one running that mainly what were kind of, um, your next steps as the, 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 the model and like some of the first brands that really wanted to partner with you?
0: Yeah. So my first step was understanding what my North star and what my why was. I had to really write it out and say, okay, if I'm leaving this company, that's safe. Right. And I I have a salary and you know, this is going on and I'm leaving it and I'm going, you know, full-time into this the only reason I'm doing this is if I can truly make an impact because this is a social business. And so I had to sit down with myself and say, what is my North Star? What is my why? And what I came up with is creating employment for as many women as possible around the world. And by creating employment for those women, them being able to do a trickle down effect and help their kids go to school, right? And inspire their daughters to start their own businesses. And so if that was my North Star, then I needed to focus on artisans. I needed to focus on international woman-led small businesses who were employing other women. And I needed to focus on women retailers who wanted to empower other women and cross-promote them to help them be able to distribute into the U.S. Um, And after I was able to look at that, the only way I was able to empower as many women as possible was by switching from a subscription model to a marketplace model. Because with the subscription box, there were only particular brands we could work with. They could only be accessories or one size fits all. Um, they had to be a certain size, right? To fit in the box. Yeah. And with a marketplace model, you have more women, which means more women can cross promote each other. And so if you look at a hundred different brands, let's say most of them have 10 to 50,000 followers on Instagram. If all of a sudden, All 100 of them are talking about each other and sharing each other's stories and about the founder and about their impact. Now you have so many more customers you're reaching. And yes, there's some crossover, but it's as women, we are truly stronger together, not only emotionally, right, but actually from a reach perspective. Um, So as I continued to kind of transition the model and I started talking with different woman-led businesses, I ended up meeting Isabel Um, in Cabo while I was, um, out there, my in-laws have a a place out there and we were on the beach and she was with two artisans and she was hand embroidering these palm hats. And I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, I've never seen anything like this. I want to get, you know, three of them. How did you start the business? (laughs) Like learning her story. And she's talking to me and she's like, you know, I have two daughters and this is just a fun passion project for me. Um, and I was like, well, do you, do you distribute into the U S And she goes, I mean, I would love to, but I don't have the time to do that. I have two girls. I'm doing this in Cabo. We just have two artists. And I said, I started this company. Her story, we're launching a marketplace. Would you want to be a part of it? And we can launch a pop-up. We have connections with Love Shack Fancy and Lily Sadoe and Alice and Olivia. Um, And she was like, oh my gosh, that would be a dream. And so we ended up partnering together, helping her kind of create designs for Love Shack Fancy, um, to do this pop-up showcasing her. And this was the first international brand we were showcasing on Her Story, launching as a marketplace. And we ended up doing it in Miami for their grand opening. And we ended up selling, I believe, 150 to 200 hats at $350 a hat. And she was hand embroidering on site. And again, it was that light-up moment of, Oh my look at the difference. Already this is me. Like her being yeah. able to be here, showcase her brand. And um since then, they now have anywhere between 30 to 50 artisans in Cabo that they're supporting. So wow. being able to see from the ground up just one brand we were working with that already is now all over the US. They're now in St. Bernard's. They have so many new opportunities. Um and we've done so many collaborations with them all over the world. So, you know, that's just one example. And then Some of the brands that have always been with us since the beginning who really what I call our flagship brand. So women who believed in our mission, they didn't necessarily need her story, but they believed Mm -hmm. in what it meant to share their stories um, and share other founders' stories. And that's Jamie O'Banion with Beauty Bio. Christina Lynch with Nigel Andrina um, was amazing. Obviously, my sister Brittany with Acola. So so many of those kind of brands. um, just came up behind and said, how can we all be stronger together? And they really kicked off the Her Story marketplace with us. And now we have 250 women-led small businesses. Wow.
1: 250. It's amazing. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I was writing handwritten notes and thanking everybody for the Christmas holidays and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm on number 200.
1: I can do it. <laughs> That's impressive. Wow. What an accomplishment. And I love hearing the full um, impact you give, not just, you know, showcasing a brand, but what how that trickle down effect does happen when women support women. I think your mission is so clear and focused and truly, as we are saying here, truly impactful. So... And also, too, I'm guessing, you know, you have these flagship brands that have been supporting you, but I'm sure um, you've noticed. You can also help a lot of emerging brands, which I'm sure that's yep. part of your um, strategy, you know, thinking through all of your experience so far, for especially working with emerging brands, like, what do you think these brands are doing wrong in the beginning when it comes to, you know, sales and marketing, you know, what are like some challenges yeah. or pitfalls like they're facing yeah. too. just, and like what, what well, advice you would is, give them and all that.
0: So especially emerging brands that are international, you have to understand that the way they market to their customer base is totally different than the way you market to a U.S. customer. And their goal is to have U.S. customers because that's how they can grow. And so the first step, it's not even what they're doing wrong. It's truly resources and tools. Being able to understand this is what the U.S. market is looking for. They have incredible stitching, right? Textures, tools, but the way that they're utilizing them isn't necessarily resonating with the U.S. market. So the first step is really helping them in their design process of, this is gorgeous. Your stitching is unbelievable. Your colors are unbelievable. If you did it in a more minimalistic approach like this, let's see how it would resonate with customers. And doing that, it has really turned around um, a lot wow. of these businesses and being able to resonate, obviously, with the US customer base. And then on top of that, drop ship, um, being able to teach them what drop shipping is, how they can utilize it and actually ship from Mexico or South America strategically directly to the customer with elevated packaging, um, and that's something that a lot of these emerging brands struggle with. We worked with a couple who were literally taping up their dresses. These dresses were five hundred dollars, and they were taping them up in plastic and shipping them to the customer. So when you're a customer, you're like opening it. Yeah. You're like, Wait, <laughs> is this the dress I? <laughs> is this the dress I ordered. But to oh, wow. them, it was it was so efficient, right? They're like, it's way cheaper to ship (laughs) if we could do this. So we've had those conversations, right? To help them there. And then on top of that, really just having a platform and a microphone to share their stories. I mean, we are in a generation of people who can have anything. Everything is at our fingertips. Um, When you look at Amazon, anything can come in two days, right? If you're looking at a PJ set, can come from China and it's there, right? You don't know where it was made, how it was made, who made it, but it's there and you like it. And our generation, I think, is just craving connection and being able to say, you know, what I'm wearing, it's not only sustainable. It was made in India by a woman who had a dream of employing 50 artisans. Now they're doing block prints. And to me, we call them wearable stories. And it really is that. Um, when someone comes up to you and they say, I love your earrings, it's not, oh, thanks, I got it from Neiman's. It's, oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's a woman who created a business in New York. She's supporting 200 women in India. Um, It's all handmade, handcrafted, and it creates a conversation between customer. um, Mm -hmm. And it also allows you to feel like you're a part of something and a part of a community of women who are continuing to grow. And I think all of us want to feel like we are a part of different communities, right? And feel like we're doing something meaningful. And so if you can buy something because you love it, right? Because it's gorgeous and it's one of a kind, that's amazing. But then on top of that, you can share a story and you know, it's going back to women um, and supporting women around the world. Um, That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And so that's really been, you know, our goal and our mission as we've continued to grow is to allow people to have a connection with whatever they're wearing and that connection goes much deeper than just how it was made it's actually who's making it and who's being impacted
1: by it Mm -hmm. um no that makes a lot of sense and yeah thinking through your platform and you've become like yeah this a new innovative way to be a marketplace um, to support these wearable stories which i love um Mm -hmm how does How does your platform differ from just traditional retail?
0: So the number one thing for me is always providing the margin to the brand. So when it comes to our business model, um the reason I'm so focused on being a social business is I've seen how brands have been hurt um, from other wholesalers and retailers, and they're squeezed out, right? Yeah. They're squeezed out by the middleman. And if you look at it realistically, Um, these brands cannot pay their artisans fair wages if they're being squeezed out by the middleman because they're paying for shipping, they're producing it, then they're sending it, and then these conglomerates are taking a majority of the margin. And so how do they pay their artisans correctly, right? How do they grow? They don't. And so for me, the number one thing with her story has always been providing the margin to the brand. And so that's what we do. So the percentage commission that we take is minority commission, not majority commission. And that's been really, really important to me to help these brands grow. And then on top of that, being able as a customer to come onto her story. And immediately when you arrive on the website, you're able to shop by impact. So it's not just by category. And you can look up categories and you can look up brands, but I can support South America. If that's a mission in my heart, I can support Africa. If That's a mission in my heart. I can support artisans and sustainability if that's a mission in my heart. And so it immediately takes you to the meaning behind your wardrobe versus just shopping for that quick top. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's really investment pieces that are investing in women around the world. Um, and that's really important to me. And then on top of that, being able to actually read the women's stories. So on her story, whenever we do a pop-up, whenever you come onto our website, we have meet the women where you can actually click and learn about each woman's story and then scan their QR code and learn how many artisans are being employed, if they're sustainable, what are their practices. So again, it just allows you to go even deeper as a customer. And when you're gifting to someone else, how cool is that that you open up, you know, a piece of jewelry and it's a bracelet. And then it tells you it's not only made in Uganda, but it's supporting 250 women. And this woman, Sandra, is the one who made your particular bracelet. Oh, like that. what a what a connection, right? So so that's been a huge part um, of really flipping Um, the model, in my opinion, of retail on being able to connect um, with your products and then really being able to be a platform for resources, tools, um, and other collaboration opportunities with other women. So by being a part of Her Story, um, you have to share each other's stories um, through Instagram, through Facebook, through newsletter. um, And that's something that I've sometimes had brands come back to me, right? Especially larger brands saying, "Hey, I get it, right? We want to support her story. We want to do this." But, you know, I have a million followers on Instagram and some of these brands have, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram. Is it fair that we're, you know, promoting each other the same and I'll I'll truly sit down with them and I know they don't mean it this way. But I sit down with them and I say, "Then you're not a fit for our, our mission. The whole point yeah. of her story is it doesn't matter. It's about us all coming together. And if you have a million followers, amazing. You're going to be able to support so many more small businesses around the platform. And 99% of them are like, oh my gosh, I didn't think about it that way. Of course we want to do that. And and we don't believe in competition on our platform because it's always the more the merrier and you can always collaborate and you can always innovate together, even if you're in the same vertical. And we've done a lot of collaborations with different brands that have been so meaningful, like Love Shack and Corazon or Mm -hmm. like Um, a cola, um, and and Mignon Gavigan, and and all of these other brands. And so, for me, I think really being able to not only be a platform, but really be a movement for women to come behind and say, We're stronger together, we want to help each other. And it's not only in the US, it's all around the world.
1: Yeah. Oh, so well said. So on top of just this movement that you have, you know, uh, created and are continuing to grow and also going back to your interest, you know, in experience, um, Mm -hmm. in activation. So you have your website and platform, but I've noticed you've been doing a lot of, um, events as well. Mm -hmm. Um, how, yeah, how has that impacted your business and like, what are you excited about with that type of, um, strategy?
0: Yeah. So I, I'm a firm believer in face-to-face interaction, touching, feeling, connecting in person. It's amazing, right? That we can all now hop on a zoom and feel like we're together, (laughs) but, but it's never the same. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so for me, all of these women have such incredible stories and their products truly are one of a kind and you could look at them online, but until you touch and you feel the fabric, and you realize what sustainability is, right? It's truly handmade by artisans. You have to touch and feel that in person to understand it, and then be able to understand the story behind it. So that's why pop-ups are so important to me. they are I like to call them sometimes a necessary evil because they are not easy, right? No. <laughs> putting putting them together, getting everyone together, coordinating, then it starts raining and your pop-ups outside. There's always something, <laughs> right? The worst. So, so there's always always things you have to deal with, but for me, we know our strategic markets are the luxury markets in the US and the people we're really trying to reach and who are connecting with these luxury goods because our price point is anywhere between you know $350 to $2,000 on the website. It doesn't mean you can't get other things for less, um, but there's still a higher price point than you would see in their vertical. So rather than a candle being $10, it's probably you know anywhere between $40 to $65 on her story. The reason being is the story behind it. Right. And it's organic and it takes more time to process it. It's not mass manufactured. Um, but because of that, it's really important for us to pop up in these markets and be able to allow the customer to connect with the product in person. Um, not only me being able to share the story of her story, but our founders being able to come and share their story and show their Um, artisanal techniques, whether it's embroidery or hand painting or you name it. Um, So we focused a lot on markets like Aspen, Palm Beach, Miami, the Hamptons, um, Newport beach, California. And what we see when we do these pop-ups is we revolve different brands we're highlighting. And so they become so close. And a lot of collaborations have come from that as well. Um, from then being able to meet in person, similar, right? To you meeting Claire at at the pop-up, um, Mm -hmm. the other week, but it allows women to really come behind each other in real life. Um, and it allows customers to experience that product in real life. So, I look at our model right now as trying to do two pop-ups a month um, in different um, in different areas that we're really focusing on in the U.S. And then my goal, I think, long-term would be weaning that to probably one a month um, where we can make it a little bit more strategic. But right now, our brands really need to be seen and heard. And so these pop-ups allow them to do that and, and really connect with customers in the U.S.,
1: can you describe one that went really well? Like you actually had a lot of foot traffic and why you think mm-hmm. it was um, successful?
0: We've been so lucky. We've had amazing successes oh, um, with our pop-ups. One of the ones I just loved um, that was really recently done was our Fort Worth pop-up. Um, we did our Her Story holiday market. And we had 20 different, which typically we'll do like five to seven. We had 20 different woman-led small businesses from around the world. We activated it like a European market. Each stand not only showcased the brand, but the QR code of the story. And we had about half of our brand founders on site um, for the actual experience. And what was so incredible with that was the minute you walked into the area where the Christmas tree was and shops at Clear Fork, you knew it was woman inspired Like by Aww. the colors, by the women there, by the clothing. And it felt so elevated um, and people really were able to go around and it almost felt like they were doing like a tour of the world by understanding like how these artisans and different um, businesses um, make their product, why they do it. Um, so that one really warmed my heart and was super successful because we really got to showcase so many, um, and they all got to come together and it really showcased her story as a whole, like the movement Mm -hmm. and the mission. Um, and then Aspen has always been a huge market for us. You have people from truly all over the world, whether it's expats from, you know, South Africa or Argentina, Um, who are working here or, you know, people who have, you know, second or third homes over here. And we activated during the Food and Wine Festival in June um, with Corazon Playero and then five other um, Central America brands. So it was all based on Central America, which I loved. Like I Mm -hmm. love being able to really showcase a a culture and different, you know, founders behind that. Um, And it was insane. We had lines all the way around the block. Mm -hmm. People were freaking out and when I went to Food & Wine on Sunday, we popped up on Friday, almost every single woman, I promise you, at Food & Wine was wearing a Corazon Player hat. What? And I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> they had all come, customized uh-huh. their hat, and they were all wearing them. And everyone was like, where are these hats from? How does everyone have them? They were like, there was a pop-up at 02. And, and something that's really important to me with our pop-ups is Every single piece of the pop-up is female-founded. So what I mean by that is the location we choose is a female founder's shop oh, cool. or female-led. Um, the alcohol we serve, female-founded, whether it's, you know, Rose Gold and it's, you know, a winery produced by women or whether it's Onda, which is a tequila seltzer founded by Shay Mitchell, um, to having the artisans on site, the brands on site even if we have cookies or bites, it's a female founded cookie company. And so it's really cool because we do create an experience that really empowers, um, women founders, not only in fashion, but also in, you know, food, beverage, real estate, you name it.
1: Yeah. Um, that's such a wonderful, just like rundown of how to get into your brain of how you, your vision of all of these amazing events. I, that's so cool how detailed you are about it. I love it. So kind of, I don't know if we want to talk about this at all, but um, one of the things that I've just like learned from you and from your experience and just talking to you in the past is your love for just data and, and analytics. Mm-hmm. And uh, probably something you learned early on with um, reward, reward style. But, you know, thinking through just as you, one thing in the day, Tenzi, you're just helping so many, you know, even tenured brands, but like these startup brands too. What do you think is, you know, what are like the most important metrics to consider? Mm -hmm. Um, Just like kind of some thought leadership question for you. Like, What do you consider the the most important metrics to pay attention to when it comes to sales and marketing?
0: So for our particular platform, and it it is all about knowing what your platform is. I always urge any founder to really know who you are, who do you want your target market to be? What are you trying to reach? Um, average order value is very important to us. Um, as we continue to grow and as we bring on brands and as we gain customers, it's really important that our average order value stays pretty high. Um, so, right now, our average order value is around $450, which means that the typical customer is spending at least $450 on our website or on our pop up. Um, typically, when you're looking at An elevated brand. It's probably anywhere between like 150 to 200. So it's a really good place um, to be at. So that metric is really important as we look at pop-ups in our marketplace, understanding the customer journey. Um, As you have a platform, it's really important to understand the IUX design of your website for how a customer decides to make a purchase and how are they going through your website. And with us, our website is very different than the typical marketplace, right? Like a Revolve or a shop up because you can shop by impact. So we mm-hmm. need to understand are people directly going to shop by impact and then reading the woman's story and then checking out or are they you know, going directly to a product and then finding the woman's story and then checking out. So understanding that journey um, and there's a lot of incredible apps um, I'll send to you so you can even maybe link them in the podcast, um, yeah. for being able to see what the journey looks like. And it'll actually highlight how the customer is going through your website. Um, and I urge everyone to utilize a tool like that. Um, and then social statistics are so important. I mean, we are at a time in marketing where advertising, if you threw it out the window, right. And programmatic ads and you threw it out the window, You could still be one of the most successful businesses um, and continue to grow. And a part of that reason is influencer marketing and utilizing social platforms like Instagram and TikTok can truly make your brand go viral and and can truly allow you to, um, to share your story. And so from a data analytics perspective, it's really important for me to understand how people are coming to us in the first place. So are mm-hmm. they coming from Instagram? Are they coming from Linktree? Are they coming from TikTok? Are they coming from direct Google search? Do we need to increase our SEO? Um, so those are all things that are important. And then finally, as a marketplace, a huge thing I want to do moving forward with Her Story is more collaborations, more exclusives, really being able to do brand to brand or even four brands, right? To create one capsule collection. So I look at all of the different products that are selling how they're selling, and then a particular customer. And I can pair together, okay, usually if a customer is buying a Fanmon dress, they're also buying an macasso bag. It could be really interesting to bring Fanmon and Almacaso together and do a cool summer collection. Um, so pulling those analytics to understand how the customer is purchasing also allows me to then think through what is a good brand-to-brand collaboration and why should we do that. Um, I think a lot of creatives have amazing ideas, but I think the most successful and intelligent creatives are the ones that first go into the data, really understand how everything works, and then from the data can have creative decisions that makes them kind of move forward and and launch something. And you typically see that being much more successful.
1: I didn't think about how you have this incredible access to data on future brand collabs. That's so cool that you can mm-hmm. see that. That that's just like a bonus. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Well it's great
0: for it's great for our brands too because they yeah. can see what's coming up next. And what we're already seeing being around for, you know, six months is we already can forecast trends for 2023 just based on how people are purchasing different yeah. types of brands and how they're
1: how they're buying them. Oh, that's incredible. Well kind of wrapping up because I feel like I've just learned so much. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, I'm just, again, so impressed by you, Tinsley, and your platform and just your mission. You have such a clear mission. So thinking through kind of next year, you know, what are kind of some of your main goals, you think?
0: So my biggest goal for next year um, is being able to go really deep with the brands we already have, Um, hitting that 250 number. I want to really be able to continue to invest in those brands. Um, we're also looking at opportunities for microfinancing and investment for emerging brands that we bring on as an additional resource. Um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. Um, and then on top of that, for me, we're, we're testing a lot in 2023. And so we're going to have a flagship location for three months, which we've never done before. We only do weekend Mm pop-ups. Um, so that will be something that's really exciting to launch and then we have a lot of collaborations that we're doing with different brands um but I really want to focus on the impact report of 2022 and by impact report right how many artisans have been employed because of her story and um, how much of our brand's grown because of her story and look at that and then see how can we amplify that message into 2023. Um, so those are really major goals. And then building out our team. I think we're in a really exciting place where we've always been small but mighty. And for the first time, like we're able to grow the team a little bit um, conservatively, but you know, um, strategically. And so a part of me is also excited to kind of get the next phase of her story and, and team building. Um, and that's something that's going to allow us to even support more brands
1: course. Um, wow. These are amazing initiatives. Um, you have a lot going on. <laughs> we have a lot. It's not
0: boring over here. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> um, wonderful. Well, I mean, like, honestly, again, thank you so much for talking with me today. Um, I, if anything, as kind of like a last final question, is there any like want to describe it as a lesson learned that you truly live by or a piece of advice that you give um, entrepreneurs um, that, you know, you want to share um, today? Definitely.
0: Just not to be afraid to fail. I have failed so many times. I've made so many mistakes throughout my career. um, And not being afraid of that failure and instead learning from it and getting back up and continuing to Go towards your North Star. Um, You always have to have a why and a purpose and a mission. And for me, being able to wake up every morning and knowing what that purpose and mission is, as soon as I'm veering away from it, I can check myself and say, why am I actually doing this? If this is my mission, right? Then why am I making this decision? And so just urging entrepreneurs, people, even if it's just in your own life, right? Having a purpose and a why and a North Star for why you do what you do whether it's just being a mom, right? And, and building a family or um, whether it's a part of a company that you're working with. I think it's so important in owning your failures. Um, I think people are very scared sometimes to showcase when they mess up or uh, to say, oh my gosh, I failed. But you've never truly failed, right? Failures are learning experiences, but you've never truly failed unless you give up. So if you don't give up, you keep finding successes throughout life. So that would be my biggest you know, piece of advice.
1: I love that. And that's the thing about why I created this podcast is to kind of get in the nitty gritty to a little bit of some obstacles other founders have faced because I feel like surface level social platforms, you don't really, you see more the successes and it comes off as Mm -hmm. was that an overnight success? And no, it wasn't. Um, And as you said, the ones that are successful are the ones that didn't give up and they found a way and they kept going and they kept learning. Um, cause I, I, you know, we walked through a lot of, you know, all the things of how you built support her story and so excited to have you on here, but of course, I'm sure you went through so many different obstacles that you could have gone on for 30 minutes to talk about today <laughs> to get yes. to where you are. Um, so I think that's a really good message and I love that. Um, wonderful. Well, the kind of final thing, where can, uh, listeners find you?
0: Yes, you can find us on www.supportherstory.com to shop. Woman led small businesses and read about their stories. And then also on Instagram at Support Her Story um, and on Facebook and TikTok. So we're on all of the social platforms, but it's amazing to be able just to dive in if you're not shopping and actually learn about the woman's stories and, and how the products are made.
1: Amazing. Thanks, Tinsley. Thanks. Have a great one. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to She Had a Vision podcast. I hope you found something insightful or eye opening to take away with you. I can't thank you enough for your support by listening. Feel free to drop a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also connect with me on my Instagram She Had A Vision Podcast. See you next time and thanks for listening to She Had A Vision.